for having me come and be here today. And uh, thanks for listening to our group. As Todd said, we've been working on that for months. And uh, I checked it with Sam. We're going to have our tapes and our albums afterward. So if you want to do that. Um, it is a privilege for me to be here. And it's also been a privilege for me to serve at the Santa Carita Bible Study. And uh, I'm thankful for that. And in that, that's where the, the White Shirt Brigade comes from. And those are the men that make the Santa Carita Bible study happen. And uh, I love those men dearly, and they mean a lot to me. And uh, so many things have been happening on Friday night that we're just so excited about. Last Friday, we went out to the streets of Hollywood, and 54 people went out there. Praise the Lord. It was just exciting to see because there's so many people now out on the streets of Hollywood that were talking to people two and three times. And when we come up to them, they're like, oh, no, I've already been talked to you. And uh, it's been good. A girl accepted the Lord last Friday night. And the Lord's just doing some neat things out there and really training, training us up in the area of evangelism that we could be better equipped to serve our Lord. And uh, also at Camp Holton, many things are happening too. A, a girl received the Lord there last Wednesday too. And we're thankful for all the things that are happening there. And uh, just neat things. And people are talking and just ministering to those people out there. And we'd invite any of you who aren't part of that or aren't sure how to share their faith or maybe want to have your needs met in a Bible study, then we invite you to come out with us. At 6.45 is Bible study, and then every Friday night after Bible study, we go out and share our faith. And it's a good thing because it gets you guys off the Christian campus, and that's good. So let's pray before we start real quick. Father, thanks for today. Thanks for these students, Father. Just ask now that you would bless your word, Father, and that it would not return void, that the Holy Spirit would go before us, Father, and just uh, bring the truth home to our hearts. In your name, amen. We want to talk about today a man I'm sure you're all very, very familiar with. A man I'm sure many of you spend many hours with each week. A man who is very, very much respected on this campus, and you esteem him very highly as a man of integrity, and a man who we also, and you probably as well, watch very, very closely. Who is he? The man is none other than the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, he was a remarkable man, and that's who we want to talk about today. Um, back when, when Paul was alive, uh, he applied to a mission board. And uh, you probably didn't know that, did you? He really sent his application into a mission board. And they responded to Paul, to his application, and they said this. Dear Mr. Paul, we recently received an application from you for service under our board. It is our policy to be as frank and open-minded as possible with all our applicants. We have made an exhaustive survey of your case. And to be plain, we are surprised that you have been able to pass as a bona fide missionary. We are told that you are afflicted with a severe eye trouble. This is certain to be an insuperable handicap to an effective ministry. We require 20-20 vision. Is it true that you have a jail record? Certain brethren report that you did two years' time at Caesarea and was imprisoned at Rome. You made so much trouble for the businessmen in Ephesus that they refer to you as the man who turned the world upside down. Sensationalism has no place in missions. We also deplore the lured over-the-wall episode at Damascus. We are appalled at your obvious lack of conciliatory behavior. Diplomatic men are not stoned and dragged out of the city gate 
or assaulted by furious mobs? Have you ever suspected that gentler words might gain you more friends? I enclose a copy of Dalius Carnegie's book, How to Win Jews and Influence Greeks. <laughs> Your ministry has been far too flighty to be successful. First in Asia Minor, then in Macedonia, then in Greece, and now Italy, and you are talking about a wild goose chase in Spain. Concentration is more important than dissipation of one's powers. You cannot win the whole world, Paul, by yourself. You are just one little man. He says, your sermons are much too long for, at the time. At one place you talked until after midnight, and a young man was so sleepy that he fell out of the window and broke his neck. Nobody is saved after the first 20 minutes. We suggest that you stand up, speak up, or shut up is our advice. And then he goes on to say, It hurts me to tell you this, brother Paul, but in all of my 25 years of experience, I have never met a man so opposite to the requirements of our foreign mission board. If we accepted you, you would break every rule of the modern missionary practice. Most sincerely yours, J. Flavius Fluffyhead. <laughs> I trust that, that we know Paul in a different way. That, uh, that those things may be true, but not in that sense. And Paul, he was a man who was absolutely incredible. Briefly turn to Acts 9, just to look at his conversion with me. Acts 9. Acts 9, verse 3. It says there, And it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And right there at that word suddenly, that marks an epoch in history that the world would never be the same and that Paul left his mark. That at that point right there in Acts 9.3, God called him out of the darkness and called him into his kingdom. And with that same zeal that was thrusted forward in the attempts to persecute Christians, Paul now transferred that zeal into his new Christian faith, right? Oh, look over in Acts 9.20. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the Son of God. I mean, right after the guy's conversion, right after he comes to know the Lord, he's in the synagogue proclaiming Jesus. I mean, that's vintage Paul. He didn't want to wait right away. He wanted to get out and do it. One man came to Spurgeon one time, the great Spurgeon, and he asked him, Spurgeon, what can I do to preach like you? What can I do to come off a cross like you? To have the Spirit's unction that you have. Spurgeon turned around, looked at the man right in the air, and he said, Young man, he says, light your pulpit on fire, and people will come and watch it burn. And Paul was like that. His life was set ablaze for the gospel. And Paul truly was a man that was energized by the Spirit of God. And he accomplished things far beyond than any of us probably could ever imagine. History tells us at the end of the apostolic age, it is believed that there were nearly one half million Christians. It's amazing. Heaven only knows how many of those were a direct result of Paul's ministry through the Holy Spirit. He was an effective tool. He was separated from his mother's womb to proclaim the gospel. An amazing man. And Paul was not your typical charismatic leader. He was not your typical superstar that we might see in Christianity today. One second century description describes Paul like this. It says he was a man of small stature. Some say he was only three cubits high. We know that to be four foot six. That's what it said. He was bald. He had crooked legs. He had a hooked nose. 
He had scars all over his face and body from all the stonings and all the beatings that he received in his ministry. And we even know that it says in the New Testament that he was inflicted with some kind of eye disease. I mean, I imagine the guy walking around, he was probably just a literally walking blob. I mean, the guy probably just had pus oozing out of his eye. He was probably not a beautiful sight to look at. And yet that same writer says the man was full of friendliness. I like that. He was full of friendliness. But what made him great? You ever ask yourself that? What made him change the world? What gave him the motivation for his ministry? And I ask you this, students. What motivates you? What makes you get up in the morning? Uh, what, uh, what motivates you to do? What motivates you to be here at the Master's College? And what is the purpose and the aim of your life that you're doing, you're spending your time with right now? For Paul, the answer was that he lived to glorify God. He lived to glorify God in 2 Corinthians 5.9. It says this, Therefore, also, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. Paul said his ambition, his goal, his passion, and his zeal was to please God. And that means in everything we would do, that we should have that same goal, that we need to strive to please God in everything, whether it be at home, whether it be right here in school, whether it be at, our, at work, maybe be in a guy-girl relationship, in athletics, whatever it might be, our goal needs to be the same, that we would strive to please God. And that was Paul's passion to glorify God. And he also said in Romans 11.36, For from Him and through Him and to Him, are all things to Him be the glory forever and ever. And in Colossians 3.17 He says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Paul lived to glorify God. And one of the ways in which Paul can glorify God and one of the ways in which we can glorify God is to make Him known. Is to make Him known. And that's what it says in Matthew 28, 19, right? Go therefore into all the nations and make disciples. Make disciples. See, that's what He called us to. He didn't call us to be affiliated with this social club or go to this social activity. And I know there's gobs of things that you guys can go to all the time. There's millions of things that want to take your time. But, Paul, but Jesus commanded us in Matthew, He said, go to all the nations. He didn't say go to some social activity. He said to make disciples. In other words, to make little Christ. I like that. To be a reduplicate of Christ Himself. To reduplicate our life in the life of somebody else. So that they might see Christ in our life. And it's to have an impact or influence somebody's life. To make a disciple. And that's what the Christian life was all about. And to Paul, that's what his life was all about. Turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. This is what he said his reason for being was and what God gave him stewardship of. Ephesians 3.1. He says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the sake of you Gentiles, for the sake of you Gentiles. Verse 8. To me... The very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God who created all things 
in order that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. See, Paul was given his stewardship from God to preach to the Gentiles. And this is what Paul's ministry was. And this was the reason for his existence. He said that was why he existed, to preach to the Gentiles. Let me support that. Turn over another book to Philippians 1. Philippians 1, verse 25. Or let's look at verse 21 together. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. But I do not know which to choose. I mean, I don't know if I should go be with the Lord or I don't know if I should stay here to be for you. But I am hard pressed from both directions, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ. For that is very much better. Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. And convinced of this, he says, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. See, that's why Paul was here on earth. Paul says it would be better for me to be at home with the Lord than to be here in the body. He says, but I'm going to continue so that you and your joy can be made more full and that you can progress. You know, we might look at Paul and say, yeah, that's Paul. I mean, that's Paul. That's not me. I mean, Jesus isn't talking to you. He's not talking to you. He's not talking. No, uh-uh. And, you know, we might sit back saying, I'm not Paul. He hasn't called me to preach to the Gentiles. You know, we might not be Paul, but we have that same calling. I mean, we might say, I mean, I didn't get struck with a light on the road to Master's College. I didn't have a viper fastened to my hand and then shake it off. And people started worshiping me because he was able to take that whatever the Lord miraculously worked. I mean, I didn't raise Eutychus from the dead after he fell three stories because I preached to him. I mean, that's not me. See, but nevertheless, we might not claim Paul's experience or calling. But see, the point is, is that Jesus has commanded us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. And just as Paul was called to them, we, right here, you as a student body of the Master's College, is called to all nations. Right? I was here when E.V. Hill spoke, right? That may be a sad thing, but you is it, right? I was here, and that's what he said. That was his message, is that you is it. That if people don't see the glory of God in us, they're not going to see it at all. And Paul made his life count. How about you guys? I ask myself this. How about you? Are you making your life count? As a student at the Master's College? In other words, are you fulfilling the great commission of Matthew 28? Can somebody look at your life and desire to emulate it? And that's an important question. That's an important question. I want to say something right here. Some of you might not like this. I want to say something. You might not like this because it might get you out of your complacency. And this would be, if, what we'd want to draw would be my point and what I'm aiming for, is that your life only counts... As you influence people for Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Your life only counts as you influence people for Jesus Christ. Because it only counts as we glorify God. And it only counts as we make Him known. Because Paul said, if I were to be in heaven, it would be far better. But I stay here for your progress. Because if he desired to really intimately know the Lord, could he know Him better in heaven? Sure he could. Sure he could. And it's great to know him, but the, the main thing is we need to glorify God right here in our life. And that's what we want to look at tonight. If you want to make your today, if you want to make your life count, 
then Paul's life was marked by three characteristics. There's three distinguishing marks that I've looked through the Gospels and through the Epistles, in other words, that are Paul's life. And this isn't some commentary. I didn't prepare for this and look in a commentary. This is the Word of God. This is what Paul's life is all about. And basically, it, it, the way I, when I looked in the epistles, his life came down to three aspects of his life. And this is what motivated Paul. Remember that TV show that used to have a little while ago? This is your life. This is your life. And then they show the guy's life. And I imagine today, if we were to go back 2,000 years in the life of the Apostle Paul, and we were to watch him on his missionary journey from place to place to place, he would mark his life by these three characteristics. Number one, if you're taking notes, was the goal. The goal of Paul's ministry. The goal of Paul's ministry. It could be found in Colossians 1.25. Turn there with me. Colossians 1.25. And this is the goal of what he was aiming at. The goal of all his desire and what he found his life doing. Colossians 1.25. Of this church, I was made a minister according to the stewardship from God, bestowed on me for your benefit, that I might fully carry out the preaching of the word of God. Verse 28. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And for this purpose... Also I labor, striving according to His power, which mightily works within me. That was what He was all about. That's what His ministry was all about, was to present somebody mature to Jesus Christ. To present somebody that was complete to Jesus Christ. And what's beyond that? What's beyond that? What's beyond the goal? There is nothing beyond that. Because there is nothing beyond becoming more complete and more mature in Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul committed his life to in his ministry. And it's only as we do that that we can glorify God in a more fuller way. Paul's goal in the ministry was to mature the saints. That's what he says in Ephesians, right? Is that he's given some as apostles, some as teachers, some as pastors, right? Some as evangelists to, to equip the saints that they may become a mature man, that they may attain to the standard of a mature man. And that's what Paul was here for, was to mature the saints was to bring about that. But what's maturity? What do we mean by that? What do we mean by maturity? What are we striving for? Well, it says in 1 Thessalonians 3.13. Just write it down. You don't have to look. 1 Thessalonians 3.13, he says, So that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his things. And in 5.23 of 1 Thessalonians, he says, and now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, there was no greater goal in Paul's mind than to present somebody with a heart unblameable, a heart in holiness, a, a life that was complete, a life that was blameless before Jesus Christ, before our great Master to please him. That was Paul's goal. And see, Paul was a winner in, in, in that sense. Paul did anything he had to. He went to any measure he had to to mature the saints. To mature the saints. Paul was a winner. I remember watching last year 
the basketball, the championship series with the Lakers and the Boston Celtics. Uh, it went down maybe as one of the greatest championship series of all time, and it was incredibly built up in the papers, so forth, with uh, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and all that. And I remember watching TV, and they were interviewing Larry Bird. And they were interviewing, and the guy who was interviewing him said, Larry Bird, and Larry, you know how Larry Bird just sits back, so you know, he just has that smirk on his face. They were interviewing him, and they're saying, Larry Bird, you're MVP. You've won the MVP for a couple of years. Some believe you to be the greatest basketball player that has ever set foot on the court. Now, some of you, I don't know if you'll agree with that. But some people say that as far as his all-around tools. And the guy just went on. The guy interviewed him just went on to lot him and to just, just give him all these things and tell him how great he was and all the things he's accomplishing. And, he, and then the guy looked at him and he said, so what's next for you, Larry Bird? In other words, you've accomplished everything in basketball. You've probably accomplished more than any of these guys in the NBA ever will and ever will to come. And he says, what's next for you, Larry Bird? And I'll never forget what Larry Bird said. Larry Bird looked at him with no smile at all, with a completely stoic face. And he goes, look, he goes, I want you to know something. He goes, if we don't win this championship series, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I mean, you can give me all those things, but if we don't win this series, my season is a failure. And I'll start next year, day one, and work to the championship game. And see, for Larry Bird, anything but the highest was, was no good. And see, Paul, in the spiritual realm, in the spiritual sense, anything but complete maturity to the Apostle Paul was in vain. Was in vain. And he feared that. If you want to know what his great fear was, is he feared that somebody would stumble short, somebody would fall short in front of the Lord Jesus Christ and be offended in His presence. That's why he says in Galatians 2.2, he says, I went up to Jerusalem to prepare for 14 years, he says, for fear he might be running or had run in vain. See, he didn't want to make his life. He didn't want to see anything that he did in his life not count. And that's why he says in 1 Corinthians 9.25, Paul said, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not is beating the air, but I buffet my body and I make it my slave, lest possibly I have preached to others that I myself should be disqualified. I mean, he didn't want to disqualify himself and he didn't want to see other people fall short. And it's no wonder why he can say in 1 Thessalonians 3, 5, for this reason, when I can endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith. I mean, he's hearing all these things about the church and he goes, I, when I can endure it no longer, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor should be in vain. Is that you see that with the people you're ministering to? I mean, do they mean everything to you to think that you could spend their entire life and have them not make it? That bug Paul. He didn't want to see his ministry come up short. He didn't want to see those people he was ministering to come up short. What a heart. And we need that heart. And the people that we're ministering to and the people that we're coming into contact with, we need that same goal. We need that same heart that we would desire people to become unblameable, holy, and righteous before God in our life here. And that's the key ingredient. And because Paul knew what his goal was in ministry, he had the second key ingredient that marks Paul's life. Or his life was marked by the second aspect. Number two, if you're keeping notes, is Paul's grind for service. Paul's grind for service. 
basically Paul's life was completely given over to the task at hand. Completely given over to that task which he was doing. Turn to Acts 20. Acts 20. This typifies his life. This is how he viewed himself here on earth. Acts 20.24 But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself in order that I might finish my course, the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. Man, this man was a servant. This man marked his life by service. He didn't account his life as dear to himself. The Lord gave him a ministry and Paul was going to fulfill that ministry. And it even, remember in 1 Corinthians 4 when they got into the personality cult, you're of Apollos, you're of Paul, you're of Cephas, right? Paul, Paul responded by that by saying, if you're, going to, if you're going to say something about me, if you're going to talk about my life, talk about it in this way. Talk about me as a slave, he says in 1 Corinthians 4.1. He says, I am a third level galley slave is what he's saying. I'm the lowest of low. I am the bottom rung of the ladder. I am a slave. And in 2 Corinthians 12.15, he says, For I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. To the church in Philippi, he said in, in Philippians 2.17, I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I rejoice and share my joy with you all. See, his life was on the altar for the Philippian church. What a heart. And in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, he says, Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives because you had become very dear to us. I like that verse. In other words, Paul didn't go somewhere. Paul didn't go minister somewhere. Just open his Bible, open up his syllabus, open up his notes, and throw it out to the people. He didn't do that. It says, you had become so very dear to us that we not only imparted our information, but we gave you our very life as well. And in that, he ties up his whole being there. His whole being with his whole heart, with all of his desires, all of his affections, he poured his life into those people. That's what marked the man. I remember I told this story to the Bible study that when some of the pastors from Grace Church went to the Philippines, that uh, there's something different that all the Filipinos said about the pastors. And they said this about the pastors, and I'm not saying that I go to Grace, so I know the story. They said this, they, they, the Filipinos told our men that they love our men and that they respect our men and that our men have credit in their eyes. And the reason was, is because the pastors that went lived with them, you know, they slept in the same quarters, they ate with them, and they did everything in the work of the ministry together with them. So that when the men got up to speak, they had credibility in their eyes. And they say, we don't respect anybody else because when other organizations come in, they stay at the fancy hotels, and they eat all the American food, and they just come in and spill all their information out. And Paul, in a similar sense, is getting at that. He's saying, I spent my whole life. It was more than just words for Paul. It was more than just lip service. It was the actual going of a man's life. And he set out to accomplish his goal. 
Do you ever wonder? Do you guys ever wonder this when you're reading the Word in 2 Corinthians 11? This is amazing. When Paul goes through all these things, I mean, I, I often ask myself when I read this passage, what kept the man going? I mean, how could he do all these things? And especially when we live in an age of comfort. He says, I was beaten without number. Now, get that, okay? He didn't say I was beaten once. or twice. He says, I'm beaten without number. I can't count them. Imagine that. He says, I've been in danger of death. Three times I was beaten with rods. Just physically abused with a rod. Five times I received 39 lashes from the Jews. Can you, can you imagine just one lash? Five times he received 39 lashes. He was stoned. And you know the remarkable thing in Acts when he was stoned is he got up the very next day and he went into the city and he proclaimed again. And what kept this guy going? Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I've spent in the deep. And there's many, many sleepless nights, he says. And on top of that, on top of all that, he says, I have the churches. I have the churches in my heart. And what does he say to all that? I mean, what kept the guy going? I mean, I look at sometimes the commitment we have in our century, in our culture. So weak compared to Paul and what he gave his life to. Second Corinthians 1 6 says this. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation so that you might be firmly grounded. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort. See, it was all for them. All for them. He was a remarkable man. And that, what gave him the drive? I mean, when Ananias came to Paul in Acts 9, when Ananias came to Paul in Acts 9, what was his message? What was Ananias to tell Paul? Well, I mean, what was he going to tell Paul, you're going to do this. What did he tell him? Was he going to tell him Paul was going to be some famous TV evangelist? Does that ever bug you? When you turn the TV on, you see all these guys with gold watches, gold rings. I mean, just all over the place. You wonder, I mean, with all the money, that, was he going to be a TV evangelist? Was he going to make a Christian movie? Was that Ananias' message? Was he going to make, him, make Paul a Christian video? You ever seen some of those? That makes me sick, a lot of those. I mean, we've bought into everything into the world so that we could become just like the world so that we might have crash night to get credibility. Was he going to be make a Christian video? Uh-uh. Ananias told Paul this in Acts 9. Jesus told him to go tell him this. Go tell him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. How much he must suffer. And in, verse, and in Acts 20, 23, Paul says this. He says, bonds and afflictions await me in every city. And so why was Paul able to continue on this ground? Why was Paul able to bring all these things in subjection to his body? And the reason was is because he knew point one in our outline. He knew what he was trying to accomplish. He knew that he was striving for maturity. And, and that was what he wanted. And if it stopped short of that, his labor would be in vain. His labor would be in vain. And our, our world, in that sense, is striving. Aren't they? Our world is striving for all the things that don't matter. But see, Paul, he knew the heavenly reward. He was looking for the heavenly trophy. I mean, we're talking about eternity right here, right? We're talking about people's lives that could be changed for the rest of eternity. See, but we live in the world of materialism, right? We live in the world where materialism has absolutely sucked everything in to only think about themselves. And it's filtered in the area of Christianity. In athletics, we see it in athletics. People will do anything to accomplish a goal. People will go to any level, right, almost, to accomplish that which they want to. 
Man, we pay people bucks for it, don't we? I figured out one time how much Moses Malone made. He makes two million a year, right? I divide it into his games. Like if he played playoffs, 90 games, he makes $22,000 every game he sets in the courts. Just to dribble a little ball, a little other ball. We, we just worship people, you know? And uh, it's become the God of this age. Music, right? We saw the Grammys last night. I mean, where is everybody striving to do? They're all striving to do something on this earth, in this life. And I hope we're trying to do that, but we need to see past that. We need to see to the heavenly perspective. Some of you know who Phil Cady is, right? Phil Cady is now a Christian artist. But he was striving for that perfection before he knew the Lord. And if you'll watch closely when, when Phil Cady plays his music, he only has three fingers when, when he picks. Three fingers. And the reason he only has three fingers is because when he was young, he, he wanted to be the best. And anything that would keep him from being the best, he wanted to stop. So he got an axe one day and put his finger out and went like that. Just cut his finger off so he could be the best. And recently after that, he came to know the Lord. But I think we see that in people. They'll go to any level. They'll go to any feet to get where they need to be. But Paul, wasn't look, Paul was looking for something greater. Let's close with this. Let's close with this. His third point. What was the glory of Paul? I'll stop real soon. Don't miss this point. What was the glory of Paul? What was the glory of what the Apostle Paul committed his life to? It was this. In 1 Thessalonians 2.19. Turn there. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 and 20. He says this. This is the glory of Paul. For who is our hope, our joy, our crown of exaltation... Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For you are our glory and our joy. I like that. He said the people whom he ministered to, that was his crown. That was his glory. That was his joy. That was his reason for exaltation. Because he knew this. He knew this. Get this. He knew that one day he would be standing in the presence of Jesus Christ. He would be standing. We don't preach enough on that, do we? There's judgment coming for us, too. Not judgment in the sense of the white throne, but there's a beam of seat coming for us. And Paul knew that one day he would be standing before the presence of Jesus Christ, that he would be standing in the glory of God. And however majestically we can uplift that moment, I don't think words can describe the glory that will be on that day. And he knew that he would be standing there. And Paul desired to hear seven words. I think as we look in the gospel, he desired to hear seven words from Jesus Christ. And it was these. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. What will Jesus say to you at the Bema seat? And who is your joy? Who is your crown? Who is your exaltation? And remember we said in the beginning that your life only counts as you influence people for Jesus Christ. See, he's not going to ask you how many trophies, how many points, how many albums, how much money, how high you got in. What's going to matter is how many people did you bring into the kingdom and how many people did you bring to maturity. And one day we will st be standing before his presence. And I hope that Jesus' words will be said of us, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. So how can we bring this all home? What can we apply to ourselves? 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 says this. This would be our application. 
Paul says, follow me, be an imitator of me, just as I am of Christ. Be an imitator of me, just as I am of Christ. So in other words, the things that he committed his life to, we need to commit our life to. We need to commit our life to people, to mature in those people. We need to understand the goal. And, and in understanding that, that implies that we need to be people who are mature too. That we need to be seeking the Lord. That we need to be growing. Because if we're not, how are we going to affect other people with that same desire and goal? So the goal, the grind, and the glory. And He, and likewise with us, will be standing in front of Jesus Christ one day. And I trust that we will be able to have a bunch of people that will be up there in heaven to say, Yeah, this guy impacted my life. This, he had an effect on my life. I hope that's said of you. Let's pray. Father, thanks for your word. Father, thank you for Paul, for his life, for his message. Father, for the things that he was committed to, Father. We trust that we would grasp the teaching of the word, that we would commit our life to these things. That, Father, we will toil, that we will labor, that we will strive according to this purpose, that we may present people complete, mature, holy, unblameable before you in the day of Jesus Christ. Father, help us not not get so caught up in this world where we do all the things that we want to do and forget about your kingdom, forget about your work. Father, help that be our goal. Help that be our grind and help that be our glory, Father, that we would commit our life to the same thing. And we just thank you for your word and your name. Amen.